Welcome to Frost Sessions, the Frost School of Music's official podcast. In this episode, the University of Miami Creative Centers really shine bright as Iron Composer winner Dr. Dorothy Heinemann explores the process of composing an art collection with the Low Art Museum's very own Dr. Christina Larson. Together, Dr. Heinemann and Dr. Larson discuss how art and music composition can create beauty, what object-based learning is all about, and how to embrace project uncertainty. Thank you so much for joining us, and remember to stay tuned to Frost Sessions. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Dorothy Heinemann, and I am a composer, and I teach in the Department of Music Theory and Composition at the Frost School at University of Miami. And it's my pleasure to be here today to talk about a year-long project that I have just completely wrapped up at, called composing the collection. And I want to introduce my partner in crime, Christina Larson, who is going to tell us a little bit about herself. Yes, thanks, Dorothy. Um, yes, I, I was uh, Professor Heinemann's partner in crime this past year on, on composing the collection. Um, I'm Christina Larson. I work in academic engagement uh, for the University of Miami Libraries and also for the Low Art Museum. And in that capacity, I oversee a program uh, called CREATE. Um, and it's the, the full title of that program is um, the Andrew W. Mellon CREATE Grants Program. And CREATE is an acronym, <laughs> it's, it's even longer, for, um, uh, for collection resources, um, education, academic, technology and enrichment. So, um, so anyway, under that program, we've had 26 different projects that have been completed or in the process of being completed. Um, and these projects uh, fund um, are, are to fund um, faculty driven projects for scholarship, um, for teaching and for research. And so Professor Heinemann's project uh, composing the collection uh, was one of the most creative uh, projects that we've had in terms of interdisciplinary studies um, and just you know a deep dive into the research of the Lowe's art collection and then just the creativity that was um, was really part of the whole project in terms of um, the compositions that students uh, composed and performed and then of course the concert which we'll get to in a little bit but that gives you sort of an introduction um, um, to, you know, the, the Create Grants program and composing the collection was awarded $10,000. Um, and, you know, it basically, we, we might have been able to do this project without that money, but it allowed us to kind of um, have a deeper dive into possibilities in terms of what we could offer the public and what, what, what we could offer the students in terms of their learning. So I think that gives a, a nice introduction. Uh, Professor Heinemann, uh, what are your thoughts? It totally does. Um, and I was very fortunate to meet Christina. And I, I was on sabbatical last year. And I went to this introductory talk about CREATE. And I really didn't know anything about it. Um, and then she and Jill Dupie, who is the curator of the Low Art Museum, gave this wonderful presentation and actually, I'm glad you spelled out what the acronym is because it's hard to remember because each aspect of it is really deep um, in terms of the goals of it. But 
as soon as they started discussing this, I thought, I can do this with my students. Oh my gosh, I, I'm going to create this um, <laughs> create project and uh, I'm going to engage my students with these objects of the low. It's kind of perfect for composers to find inspiration in things uh, in their lives. And so composing the collection was designed to allow my composition studio to experience this entire cycle, beginning with the, the research and inspiration stage um, to the creation of a piece, to the rehearsal and workshopping uh, stages that you have to go through to bring a piece of work of uh, music to life. And then through the whole marketing aspect and working with another institution in order to put on a show, right? And then finally, the, the premiere of their new pieces. And there's a little bit of an extra aspect nowadays because you create your works for virtual premiere a lot of the time, which meant not simply the concert we had originally planned, but actually a filming session and then video editing and then finally uh, presenting all of that as a live stream. So from start to finish, it was basically an immersive experience for my students. And not only did it deepen their technique, it also helped them refine their personal aesthetic um, and develop all of these professional skills. And so, uh, you know, I'm very grateful to Christina and to the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation for doing, you know, providing this opportunity. And I know you've provided it to so many other people, but um, I, I, I'll get into who the students were and what the objects were, but Christina, what is object-based learning? That's a, that's a good question. So um, object-based learning is basically at the center of a lot of disciplines. Um, first and foremost, probably art history and museum studies, but then also religious studies calls it material culture or history calls it material culture. But it's basically a focus on objects of the past um, that, um, that provide a window into understanding historical context. Um, sometimes I, I'll say that um, when you come physically to the museum and you're standing before a work of art, you're standing in the same place that the artist once stood. So object-based learning is about building this bridge between the past and the present. Um, and it's about inspiration. It's about understanding materiality. Um, in the case of your project, it was twofold, you know, the, the students first, firstly looked at the musical instruments that are in the Lowe's collection um, and examined them and thought about, you know, how, what sounds they might have produced um, and, and thought deeply about that. And then the second phase was, you know, basically selecting works of art um, that are more maybe contemporary in nature, um, where they could take a deeper dive into who the artist was, um, uh, sort of the biographical approach to object-based learning, but basically object-based learning is, is putting the object at the center of, of the learning process. Um, and again, thinking about it as in terms of a bridge um, between the past and sort of your present experience of, of that object. So right. um, I hope that answers your question. Absolutely, it does. And 
before I go too much further, I just want to say who was involved in the project besides myself and Christina, of course. Um, I had two students who just received their doctorates. That was Logan Larson and Gregory Watson. I have three more who are about to enter dissertation stage, and that's Rachel Weiss, Ryan Seisky, and Melissa Dalbora. And then I had one undergraduate senior uh, who was amazing uh, in this project, and his name is Wesley Thompson. And he's going off to Manhattan School uh, of Music in uh, the fall to get his master's degree. So super proud of my students, just wanted to give a quick shout out to them. But going back to this idea of object-based learning, in our project, um, we had, well, basically what I did is set up um, a group of musical instruments. And then I had the students go through the low and choose a companion object. So to get into it a little bit more, the, the objects that I chose, the Lowe has an amazing musical instruments collection. I'm not sure how many people know this, but the Lowe has textiles, it has um, manuscripts, it has all kinds of things other than the artworks that are on display. And so I chose six instruments. I chose the oldest instrument in the collection, which is an Olmec rattle. It's just a round rattle. Uh, I chose three different kinds of wind instruments. Um, one was a whistle in the shape of a bufo toad. One was a double flute, a Peruvian double flute from the 20th century. And uh, one was a double-headed Ecuadorian um, panther ocarina, which is so, it was made sometime before uh, 500, I mean, sometime after um, 500 BCE, all the way maybe up to 500 CE. So we have, um, we're not quite sure, but we had some extremely old objects, some extremely new objects. There was a, um, a clapper that nobody chose, unfortunately. And then the last instrument was this lute that's behind me um, uh, that is from Nigeria. And so the students each came into the low and we had the most amazing private showing of these instruments. Each one was laid on a table. And of course they're very fragile and the students went around and took all of these pictures and got dimensions. And we were able with the grant to purchase museum quality photographs of the instruments. And so that's now part of the Lowe's collection, which is really wonderful. And then uh, after the students had a look at the instruments, they were able to tour through the low and find these companion objects. And really that was just going to be what struck them as artists, you know, as, as they went through. Um, it was kind of beautiful. Most of them chose objects from the, the Pali Pavilion. Pali? Pali. Oh, Pali, yes. Pali Pavilion, which is the glass collection is really spectacular, the different things. Um, however, two of us, and I did uh, participate in it myself, chose an object that actually Dr. Larson is an expert on. And so do you wanna tell us a little bit about that particular art object? Sure, um, so that art, art object um, 
is the short title of it is Jason returning. Um, that's kind of how we, but it's basically about uh, Jason and the Golden Fleece, that story from Greek mythology. Um, it's by the American artist Washington Alston, and it is a mural-sized painting. It's on canvas and it's it's on the wall, but it, it's a mural-sized painting. And the most sort of um, telling sort of part of it is that it's, it's an unfinished painting. So you can actually see Washington Alston's work. Uh, he worked on this painting in the late, I think late 18, or 1800s, early, no, late 1800s, I think. And he was in Rome at the time. So, um, so uh, we have this on display. It basically is in conversation in, so, in some case or in some, some sense um, with the ancient Greek and Roman objects that are in the cases across from it. So it's not from the same time period, but it's from a Greek story and it's, it, it, he painted it while he was in Rome. So anyway, um, Washington Austin, uh, he never finished a painting, but that's kind of the beauty of it. So you, you can see his, under, his terracotta underpainting, which uh, both Professor Heinemann and Rachel really um, surfaced in their compositions and in the video um, that was produced uh, with their compositions. And, um, and then you, you can see sort of the, the outlines that Washington Alston had had, was like the next layer. So you can see all these, these different layers um, that, uh, that he completed in the composition. And then parts of it are almost finished. He's added what, what's called modeling. It's um, shadows and highlights that help to promote or help to um, make the, the illusion of three-dimensional space or three-dimensional people. So it's the composition, you know, it has many people in it. Um, Jason is the is the largest figure in the in the foreground, but he's he's only you know traced in. He's not he hasn't been fully rendered yet. Um, there's architecture in the background. There's like a you know sort of a temple like structure um, in the background, and just people sort of watching the scene take place as Jason has just returned. So um, so anyway, that's you know that's in short basically what my essay was about. Um, the essay appeared in what's called Low on the Go. It's our weekly installment of, um, of writing by you know, people like myself, other faculty from the University of Miami, some scholars that are out in the field. And there are just many essays about um, the Lowe's Art Collection. And we've been writing these because we're going to select a, a sample of them for the Lowe's um, uh, let's see, I think 75th anniversary because it was founded in 1950. Um, and so, uh, and so 19, or in 2025, it'll be 75 years if I did my math correctly. <laughs> so um, so, that, so. That, that's, that's, you know, just a bit more backstory, you know, why we've been doing these low on the go essays. And that one is such an enigma because you walk into the gallery and this massive um, painting confronts you, you know, it surprises you really because um, I, I don't know if you had that feeling, Professor Heinemann, um, when you when you saw it for the first time. But what what were your thoughts when you first saw Jason returning? Well, it's a as you say, it's massive. 
it's huge. It's like the side <laughs> of my house, you know, and, and to see this painting where you have parts of it that look completely finished. So groups of people and buildings and, and then you have these sort of places where you just have the red outline of a person. It's, it's just really so striking and strange. And um, for me in particular, I'm super interested in uh, things like when you look at a sculpture, I look at the shadow of the sculpture, for example. You know, I look for uh, ways to create music through repetition and such during a rest so that the listener actually you anticipate it so much, you actually kind of hear it in your head, even though it's it's a rest in the music. So for me, this painting was absolutely a gift. You know, it, it has missing parts that you absolutely fill in with your mind. Uh, there are actually, there's a chalk face on some of them. You know, there are chalk, um, musculature on some of them, but they're just these giant red backgrounds with nothing on them. But of course, you're, you can see a human being, you know, you see a person, uh, and yet you have to make the person in your mind. Um, so I, I loved it just so much. It just appealed to me right away. And whether I was going to write a piece of music to it or not, had nothing to do with it. It's just, it struck me. And I think that is what happened with all of the students as they were moving through the gallery. Something just captured them because it had so much to do with themselves. So for example, Melissa Dalbora is a twin and she was struck by this glass sculpture which has two oval pieces of glass are, and they're, well, they're different because one of them, the piece of glass, it's kind of like a beaded glass and it has a band going around it that's made of copper. The other one is actually made sort of of copper mesh and has a, a glass aspect to it as well. But she's a twin and she saw this and somehow, you know, it spoke to her. And then on top of it, it was called Quiet Moment. And Melissa's work is generally very intense and anxious and, you know, sometimes politically motivated. And she felt like she just needed to write something calming. And so here's this thing. And on top of being this sort of twinned sculpture and very serene, it's called Quiet Moment is by Carol Freve and it's just, so, so this relationship for each of us as our own sort of aesthetic artist to then go in and find these visuals and um, then have essentially a year to create these works and, and bring them to fruition was, was really amazing. And what you just went into about Jason returning, the students, after they chose their objects, they did that kind of research on their objects too. I think that Wesley Thompson even spoke with the artist of his object. 
And um, yeah, you know, and I know that I know that Logan Larson attended one of our Low Connects programs where his his uh, brothers, the or not his brothers, but the the brothers, the Del Toro yeah, brothers. Tori. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, they um, they had a program and they spoke, so he was able to attend that and sort of get extra insight into that piece as well. So yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and how special is that for them? And, you know, Wesley is even talking about collaborating with this artist again. And, um, but that was just the beginning of it. Actually, before I, I get into too much more, I was wondering if you had any memories of that day when we sort of all descended onto the low, if anybody stuck out to you or. Yeah. So, um, you know, just thinking back, you know, um, last fall when you all came to view the musical instruments that were laid out on the uh, on the tables in the Beaux Arts Gallery, which is the same gallery where the duo Sequenza ended up recording uh, their the program. So, so the students spent a lot of time in that room. They spent an entire you know like half a day, I think, with the or maybe an hour and a half or something like that with musical instruments, and then you know almost a full day in that space um, later, you know, later this past spring. And um, just thinking back to you all coming, you know, from my perspective, I was apprehensive. You know, we were still in the midst of a pandemic. We all had masks. I think, uh, Professor Heinemann, you had one student who could not be there physically, so you had a Zoom, (laughs) you know. I was Wesley, I had him on my iPad. I was filming everything for him. (laughs) So you had Wesley on Zoom um, as we were looking at the musical instruments that were in the Bose Art Gallery, but then we also went into the African Arts Gallery because you had one musical instrument that was in there and then another, the double double flute that was in the Indigenous Arts uh, Gallery. So, I just remember being apprehensive, like, um, because I had not, you know, even though we were open to, to having students come through the low, we had protocols, you know, there were certain galleries that could only have four people in them at a time to, in order to be, you know, socially distant and, and, um, and be safe because, you know, this, this all happened, was it September? Was it August? Um, I think it was maybe... August. It was as quickly was, as we could. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was August. And so, um, you know, it, the vaccines were not on the horizon yet. You know, it was just a lot of unknowns. And so we were all masked and we maintained our distance. And, right. um, and, and but, but I think, you know, could we have just shown them a PowerPoint with these, with these musical instruments? Mm-hmm. We could have. But it would not have been as impactful, you know, as that experience of them seeing these things and making those connections um, with those objects, seeing the materiality of them, um, seeing them on display. And I, I just, I do want to also thank, I know that you thank the students, but the low staff who helped throughout Absolutely. this project. So not just me, I, I'm kind of like the, the coordinator, <laughs> you know, I, I make sure that everybody sort of, um, has access to the resources that they need. But um, Martin Casuso, who's our facilities manager, he set up the tables and made sure everything was 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 fine. And he kind of doubled as a um, art handler um, for those objects too, um, because we were without one at that point. Um, Ohenia Inser, um, who's our assistant director of collections and exhibitions, she helped, you know, basically with the 
the objects and the selection and um, and the photography of them, um, or getting the professional photographer, you know, getting his work done. And then also um, Amanda Belly, who's our registrar, also helped in terms of the um, the object selection and and information and and things like that. So a lot of behind the scenes. And then fast forward, uh, we have Bridget O'Brien, <laughs> who you know yes. came in later for the promotion of the um, of the online. Um, viewing of the you know on, online program and then also um, vetting the marketing materials and helping Wes and Greg uh, get the program up and running yeah. <laughs> you know as a it was the, the Lowe's first um, live streamed event and we have Greg and and Wes to thank for all their research mm -hmm. into that so I, I know that's kind of a fast forward but I wanted to make sure that I acknowledge, you know, my low, low colleagues that really helped Absolutely. with the project from beginning to finish. Um, but, but yeah, to answer your question, though, I was apprehensive about, okay, so we're going to have, you know, like five, five students come to the low yeah. and, you know, just want to make sure everybody's safe, but also make sure that we use our time wisely and, right. and they find the objects that they really want to work with. So. Yeah, yeah, it was scary times back then. It was scary for us too. I think I remember we went in groups of twos through the, the galleries. Um, yeah. But I, I do have to thank uh, University of Miami because they put in these really amazing protocols um, and the low had those protocols as well as a few that were uh, specific to the low. And so we were all briefed on all of that in advance and we actually had a similar, I, I think the protocols were still exactly the same for um, the low, but we had a similar experience where just in order to have the musicians and the videographer on campus, we had to get uh, permission all the way up from the provost review committee. And that was just in mid April. So the U has just done a really good job of keeping um, COVID totally under control on campus. I think the very, very few um, cases and as far as I know, zero cases from classroom contact. That's right. And so I think we were scared then. I was much less scared in April, <laughs> much, much less yeah, scared. I, I agree. But just to give, you know, give our audience sort of some perspective, that Beaux-Arts Gallery, um, that's where the low has our, you know, lectures, artist talks, we even had a dancing glass um, project from Create that uh, Professor Carol Kaminsky coordinated that had a lot of parallels right. to what you had. Um, it right. was with that um, she had students in her in the dance program uh, compose choreography and perform dances in response to the gla uh, to glass objects in the collection. Right. So so anyway, I'm just saying that we we've used that that space for a lot of things and. Fire capacity is 126 people, so it it, it houses a lot of people. But with the COVID protocols, um, our limit was 14. So that just right. tells you how you know how strict we really were with you know who can be in the right. room and how many could be in the room. And so this project worked out perfectly in terms of numbers because um, the day that we recorded, there were 10 people that were right. in that mm -hmm. space, and then add a couple 
low staff just to check in periodically to see if you all, you all needed anything. But um, but uh, that just you know puts things in perspective. So 126 down to 14. You know. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And two things I'm thinking about. Number one, I was at that um, dance concert when they finally put it on. And those were Frost composition students who were, they were playing the music and they're the ones who wrote the music. They were Frost composition people. Yes, um, thanks for adding that, absolutely. I, yeah, so Frost, we get out there, right? Um, but then the second thing is the low was actually being used as a classroom during the fall and the spring. And so it already had these tables set up distanced that we were then able, each of us went in and sat at one of the tables and we knew exactly, you know, whether we were perfectly distanced. Uh, so that was super helpful. And also like, it's crazy to think, but the flutist wore a mask in order to play, which I checked out with our flute professor, Jennifer Grimm, you know, how do we handle this? How do we make sure that we're within the frost protocols? And she explained exactly how to do it. And so, you know, we, we um, as I say, I think, you know, those protections are for us. And so uh, I'm very grateful to you and to the low for being very clear on what needs to happen. And so that was very helpful. Um, so I'd like to now sort of go back to what the students did after they chose their objects. And so, so first of all, they researched them, they measured them, they you know did all kinds of historical research. And the other thing that I had them do, which I felt was super important is after they did the research, they needed to create a sonic model. And that was for them, but it was also because we put together uh, something called a sway page. And that's something we learned from the low because the low is using these sway pages to augment the patron experience. So when you go into the museum to see something, you can also pull up these pages and you, you know, can read about them. And in our case, you can hear the sound of the instrument with the sonic models that we made. So we were excited to con contribute this as well. Um, and we even had the rattle being round, we even had a, a model of it, a physical model of it created and made. And, and uh, so Rachel Weiss actually used that in her concert performance, you know, in, in her score. So we, we really dug into those objects as well as these companion objects. And again, you can see all of this on the Lowe's uh, sway page. Um, but so the students then worked with me. So what it means in my studio is that they have a weekly one hour lesson with me. And so I watched these pieces go from you know conception to the end so for example melissa's piece was very quiet and pensive and i kind of watched her write this piece challenge her own aesthetic which is really different from this kind of calmness and she was committed to keeping things very simple so so it was a really special experience 
to see her exploring the things that maybe you know she wanted to do and was less comfortable with doing and and to get to after a number of months this final piece um and i had that experience with all six students it, it was really that to me as a composer is major that's probably the most important thing i do with them is to try to bring out their individual voice but then we delivered these, the scores, I think around February 6th was our deadline. Uh, we delivered the scores to Duo Sequenza, which is a flute and guitar professional duo. And they uh, specialize in new music and they're really virtuosic. And boy, you know, my students write really virtuosic music. So um, the grant, the, the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation Create Grant enabled me to hire them and bring them to campus just for this. And starting in February, the flutist is Deborah Silver, the guitarist is Paul Bowman. Deb and Paul were totally communicating with each student saying, this works, uh, we're having trouble with this, what do you mean about this? And the students got to know them so closely. Again, this is not something that normally we can offer. Normally, you know, if we even have a visiting ensemble, they come in for three days and they leave. So this was such a great opportunity for my students to make a professional connection that they're always going to have now. Um, and then, as you mentioned, so my original plan had been to have a concert and it was scheduled for December 14th. So this was supposed to be a one semester uh, thing and then COVID. So I rescheduled it. I got permission to extend it for a year and I'm so glad because there, there turned out to be a lot of moving parts here. But then that concert scheduled for April 14th, we also couldn't do COVID. So that's when we turned it into this video um, program they came in, they still had a three-day workshop with the students um, after two months of prep. And then uh, we had this day of filming. So we were going to have a wonderful reception and a wonderful concert and all of these things and instead got permission to um, switch uh, out that part of the budget uh, for a videographer to come in and spend the whole day Whereas normally that videographer was just going to do the concert. Um, so yeah, a lot of changes from COVID. Um, which yeah, Chris, I, I was just going to say that um, you just mentioned the videographer, Catalina, is that right? Um, she became almost like another piece of the puzzle, you know, in terms of the concert and the output that, you know, because you have different layers, you have, you know, the the inspiration from the Lowe's collection of musical instruments and other artworks. And then you have another wave of, um, of the compositions that the students, you know, um, composed. And then you have duo sequenza that are taking in, you know, taking another step further in terms of performance. Right. And then you have, you know, the wave of Catalina. So do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, sort of her work and her contribution yeah. um, to this yeah. project? So fortunately, uh, Catalina von Rangel, who, her um, company is uh, Ars Optica, <laughs> excuse me. 
she is also a composer and a videographer. So that's one of the reasons I engaged her to begin with is that she fully understood everything that my students were going to be doing. And then um, being a, a video artist, she had just one month to get together, you know, six pieces. I, I did my own, took my own uh, out of her hands uh, because she had plenty to do here. But she created the most beautiful um, performance videos. And again, you can find these on, maybe I haven't said it, you can find these on the U, uh, Low Art Museum's YouTube channel. The whole concert is there and it's remarkably beautiful. And this is partly because of Catalina's uh, aesthetic sense and artistic eye. And she just went in and gave such a beautiful thousand percent effort uh, toward this last unexpected stage of bringing these works to life. Um, yeah, we had to put the virtual concert release on the very last day of the semester um, so that we could have as much time as possible for her to work on those. But uh, it was wonderful. Each of the students also, they made an introduction video to their pieces. And so for the concert itself, we had uh, some discussion in between. Greg Watson moderated it. As you say, Wesley and Greg worked out the whole live streaming thing. It, it was remarkable what they learned and they shared it with all of us. And then, um, so we would play the introduction and the video. And then a couple of the students would have a, a brief conversation about something they had in common. And then we play another introduction and video. And so it was very smooth. I, I love the way it turned out. And I would encourage anybody to just watch it. You know, it's, it's on YouTube. You can start and stop it, but it's, it was so, I, I can't tell you how proud I was of them that night and the whole next day. I was kind of floating on air. And again, it's been a long haul for you and I you know. It has, it's true. It's true. And you know, something that you were saying um, earlier really resonated with me in that you were able to see these students, you know, sort of in their, you know, the sonic samples that you mentioned, you, we basically got to see them grow their pieces from, you know, just an idea to something really profound. Yeah. And that's something that I love about my position um, as uh, Andrew W. Mellon Fellow for Academic Engagement. Mm -hmm. It's that I get to see these projects grow mm -hmm. from an idea to, you know, to completion. And the process, you know, it's, it's never a direct road. It's usually a, <laughs> you know, it's usually a, a winding yeah. road. Sometimes we go through, you know, a road that goes, it's like a roller coaster and we go upside down a bit, but, um, yeah. But we get there, you know, and in the, you know, you just have to embrace the process of, um, of, of, uh, of growing and of learning and, um, you know, sort of uh, culminating those ideas. Right. And so that's what I love about my position is that I, I get to see these things from start to finish. Um, and, and I get to see them even before the create committee um, sees you know, sees them. I, I really get to see the early ideas of these projects and um, the same is true with your project. So yeah, our, our CREATE committee, they're, it's comprised of about 20 um, UM 
faculty and staff members from below, from UM libraries, but also from um, departments across the university. So each of these projects goes before, before this committee who places their stamp of approval um, on them. And, um, and it, it is a rigorous process. So I'm sorry I didn't mention that earlier, but I just wanted to say like um, that, that uh, you know, these projects have different steps along the way and, um, and uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> some more do. than others. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. yes, they do. And, and uh, honestly, you've shepherded me through all of that. And I appreciate it greatly because this project did have some, some serious bumps. And again, a lot of it due to COVID. So there were some reapplications, some resubmitting of a, a new budget. As I mentioned, we had to shift away from the, the live event. Um, but also for my students. So one of the really interesting coincidences here is that we have the Andrew W. Mellon Create Foundation Create Grant. <clears throat> and then Frost also has a set of pedagogical through lines. And what that means is there are certain things we want each class to um, embody in some way. And each class does not have to have every through line, but the acronym for our through lines is also CREATE. And so um, I was kind of in my proposal looking at what ways um, overlap here. So <clears throat> one of the things, for example, is technology. They both have, the T uh, has technology in it. One of them is research and, um, creativity, those, those kinds of things. But one of them is entrepreneurship. And this project, <laughs> I actually, I shared with them all of the grant proposal materials so that they could see how to do that kind of thing. I shared with them everything that went wrong as well as everything that went right. I shared with them the, the new budget letter that I had to draft and I shared with them the process of having to get the provost review committee permission and those many weeks that I sat and I said, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. We had a plan B, a plan C, a plan D. And that all is stuff that a composer has to know out in the world. You know, they have to know how to write and apply for grants. They have to know how to engage with uh, organizations in their community and build projects. And um, so I'm not sure if you knew that I had like gone into all of the bumps with them, you know, as well. But I mean, we, we learn from the bumps, we learn from mistakes. We learn, you know, those are our most important lessons, really the most profound ones. And it's great that you were like thinking outside the classroom, like thinking of what these students who are composers who will, you know, what what their careers might be like and what they might need right. to what they might need to learn from this project mm -hmm. to be successful um, later on in their careers. So I, right. I, I thought that was brilliant. And you know, Melissa was the one who, you know, designed the flyers. Um, yes. you know, that we used in all the promotion. I think it went out to 8,000, you know, of our low members. And, oh, that's incredible. You know, something like that. But um, but anyway, you know, she she created a look for, you know, that would that would attract attract potential audience members. And so 
um, that was important too. You know, that was important work yeah. and, you know, something maybe outside her comfort zone or you know, something that something that she learned along the way. So um, right. very important too. So what we actually did is we met weekly for a year and discussed as we were in each stage of the process, they um, discovered collective wisdom. You know, they, they shared wisdom and that marketing is a perfect example of that. We were able to use the photo imagery that the Mellon Foundation had paid for of our instruments like this, that's one of them, <laughs> and our art objects. So we had these wonderful high quality images we could use in the marketing. The next thing is I, I had all these committees, okay, your technology, your marketing, your, you know, concert logistics, your, you know, but of course they overlapped like crazy because there's only six of them. <laughs> and so when it came to the marketing, Rachel Weiss, in, in one of our meetings, she pulled up something called Canva, where you can make posters and you can make Facebook banners and all these things. And she gave us a little tutorial on it. She and Melissa were on marketing. And then Melissa took that and ran with it. And then Melissa had to go through Bridget and you and get approvals before anything ever went out into the real world. And I think just that experience itself speaks to the strength of the Create Grant program. Uh, it speaks to your coordination because you were always going back and forth. You gave advice. It speaks to the group um, aspect of learning. Obviously, it speaks to the objects themselves because they were central, you know, to the marketing images. And lastly, it, it speaks to this um, crowdsource knowledge, this group learning that we were able to have because of the experience. And I feel like every step along the way, we had those kinds of overlaps and opportunities. Oh, and and yeah, they have to be out in the community, right? They had to research Facebook. They had to research, um, uh, well, uh, you know, how do I talk to these people? What do I do? I just said, contact Bridget O'Brien. Mm -hmm. You know, it's <laughs> you're in the deep end, go. And so, um, so yeah, this was such a successful project from start to finish. I, I think we've probably reached <laughs> our time limit. Is there anything else you want to add, Christina? Um, you know, just uh, just what an amazing project this was. You know, I said that towards the beginning, but I'll say it again. Um, you know, just um, you know, for for the students to be inspired by the Lowe collection was was um, something really special for the Lowe Art Museum, you know, not just for the students, but for the Lowe Art Museum to, to see, you know, what they produced um, in response to the collection. You know, like you said, sort of the real world, you know, uh, and I, I, I'm not saying that composing in classroom knowledge is not real world stuff, but, you know, these things that maybe an outsider might not expect that they had gone through the thing, the lessons that they learned along the way um, that can, they can apply to their own professional career. Um, you know, the, the videography and the work of Catalina, that was a surprise. You know, when you said that was a, you know, um, 
it, it was a happy surprise. So when you said you had a videographer, I had no idea that, you know, to the extent um, that Catalina would, would tweak and work with, um, you know, the, the look and the animation and all, all those things. Um, yeah. You know, I don't was think just she... the icing on the cake. <laughs> so I don't think she knew either. Yeah. <laughs> not, not until the end there. But there, I want to thank the low. Obviously, I thank you. I'm tremendously um, appreciative. Have we mentioned Gina and Ebony? Yet. Oh no, we haven't. We should we should thank them as well. So yeah, Gina Balare. So she, you know, is a quiet leader. She's our events planner, and she just makes sure that everything is taken care of. Um, Marie Milholm, who's our head of security, she too. We wanted to make sure that you all had water for the day. You know, for the day that we, you know, were recording, and that you know, but that we also followed the rules of the low in terms of those kind of things, you know, food, water, <laughs> et cetera, in this space. But, um, but yeah, Gina has been a really great person throughout the, this project too, in terms of um, uh, coordinating event space and making sure you have what you need. And then Ebony, um, I think helped with object uh, materials and research, is that right? Um, yeah, she helped with the photos, helped us determine what we needed and what the low had. And yeah, yeah. she was just, the whole project ha has been amazing. I think it accomplished our goals and more. Um, yeah. So, so again, I, I want to thank you. I want to thank all the students for um, what they did. And uh, at this point, we'll sign off. Thank you, Dr. Christina Larson, for everything. I'm Dorothy Heinemann. Uh, I teach composition at the Frost School of Music. And uh, we would love to see you sometime on campus. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on Frost Sessions today. Um, and uh, see, you at the, see you next time. And go to the website. Go <laughs> to the Low Art Museum YouTube channel and watch this amazing uh, culmination of this project. Thank you.